And good afternoon. It's Thursday. Welcome to Deering Live. We are thrilled to be here today. Um, and uh, thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. This is going to be a fun one. Um, today's guest is Seva Vinay, uh, all the way from Louisiana, New Orleans. How are you doing, Seva? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jamie. Excellent. Well, it's great, great, great to have you here. And uh, with us as always is, is Mr. Bandrowski. Hey, Dave, how are you? All right. How you doing? Very well, very well. Uh, for, for those of you that uh, maybe don't know Sever as well as we do, uh, Sever Vinay has traveled the world with a who's who of New Orleans traditional jazz musicians. Uh, he plays a six-string banjo uh, specifically, which is a, a veer away for Deering Live uh, for us. We haven't done too much on the six-string, so we're really happy that we could do this today. Um, but he plays in the style of the great Danny Barker. He is also a historian, historian of the banjo in New Orleans music. Please welcome, like you said, Sylvanae. Would you like to open us up with a little ditty, a little tune to get us warmed up and tell, uh, tell the world what you're about? Sure. All right. Take it away, sir. to stay here yeah sounds great it's good to hear good to hear those tunes again it's been a while <laughs> um but why don't we uh, kind of get into your history of a little bit and let people know a little bit about you like how'd you how'd you get started playing uh playing uh jazz and traditional new orleans jazz well it started when i first started playing guitar, I had a, a step-grandfather who was a jazz aficionado, and he had about 12,000 LPs, and wow. um, he played mostly piano, but um, he also, I found out after he passed that he played as well. But um, when he found out I was learning um, guitar, he started sending me transcriptions and recordings, and uh, among those were Louis Armstrong's Hot Five recordings and some Jelly Roll Morton and Charlie Christian. And um, I really fell in love with that Benny Goodman stuff. And so um, when I started pursuing jazz studies, um, I found that you, they, they, what they teach you in the colleges and, and uh, most teachers, they teach you from a more modern perspective, like post Charlie Parker. But what I really fell in love with was the the early um, <laughs> early as and um, so <clears throat> so what happened was um, I I would listen to these records and and uh, transcribe the the solos and everything and it wasn't a, you know I had been listening to Annie Barker on records for 
and Johnny St. Cyr for many years before I start, picked up a banjo. Um, it wasn't until I came to New Orleans um, that I started playing banjo. And um, that's kind of an interesting story too. I'll, I'll just kind of give you that con continuum there. So before I left Los Angeles, which is where I was born and where I uh, began playing professionally, I was working with a, a clarinet player who played in the early New Orleans style. Um, he played in the George Lewis style, which um, um, if you're not familiar, he's a wonderful old time uh, clarinet player from the generation of Louis Armstrong and um, from the generation of the first jazz musicians. And so this guy played um, some of those, a lot of those tunes and in that style. And um, I just, I just loved it. It was, it was, it was almost like folk music. Um, and that was what attracted me to it. Um, I was brought up in pop and folk and blues music. And so I love that um, New Orleans music and traditional jazz is accessible um, like a folk music. Even though originally the music was a dance music, it's still music for the people and there's a lot of overlap um, of the dance music and the um, folk music. So um, when I came to New Orleans in 1999, I, I was just so surprised to hear some people still playing the early traditional music. And um, in Los Angeles, it was so rare to find people that knew, respected, or even played that music. I mean, it was like 10 million. So um, when I came here and I heard people playing those old tunes that I had learned by association with Mike McClelland and uh, the band that I played with, um, with him, I knew that I needed to come here and continue that um, that those studies and um, what really drew me in and uh, made me feel like I could uh, really become a part of the community was a band that was led by the late great Anthony Tubafats Lason, who was playing in Jackson Square, um, which is a public square where um, in the when there's not a pandemic, um, thousands of people out there during the peak season every day and uh and i'm serious thousands of people that's not an exaggeration and um there was a, a band there in the middle of all this that was between eight and 25 and maybe even more people every day during the peak season and um all year round there would be at least eight to ten musicians playing um in that square and it would rotate to be um, different people all the time. And it was just such a beautiful um, th thing to witness and then to be a part of for five years where I just, uh, when I did move here and became part of that band, um, busking every day, we played all day long, every day, seven days a week. Um, and if it was too hot in the summertime, we would just wait it out until we could um, go and get a, a few an hour or two in and if it was rainy season then we would just sit under the cabildo which is um um into the space that we play in and uh come out between raindrops and and play sets but we did it every day for uh, i was with that band for close to five years until tuba passed and uh it was during that apprenticeship uh, which i consider like my second apprenticeship in new orleans jazz the first one being with well in Los 
And uh, it was during my apprenticeship with that band that I took up the banjo. I was playing guitar, uh, acoustic guitar mainly, and then steel guitar. And um, there were there was a banjo player that played in that band every day, and there were other guitar players, um, as well as you know all horn players that you hear in, in the uh, New Orleans mu traditional music: trumpets, cornets, trombones, clarinets, tubas, drum sets, uh, including bass drums. Uh, and snare drums, and um, other instruments too, like baritone horns. Uh, but anyway, um, so it was w while I was playing with that band those years that I first took up the banjo, and that was in 2002. And um, I took it up because I'd already been playing in that style. You see, Tuba Fats and uh, a number of the other musicians in the band had started their careers uh, with under the apprenticeship of Danny Barker. Danny Barker had passed by the time I came to New Orleans, but I've gotten to play with many musicians that uh, that knew him, played with him, or were even related to him. And um, and they all tell me, you sound like Danny Barker. Um, and they're quite grateful that I'm carrying on the Danny Barker tradition. But I learned that through playing with these other musicians, um, playing absorbing those rhythms and being a part of just chucking away at those rhythms, the Mardi Gras beats and the Latin beats and the, and the swing beats all day long um, with all of these great musicians who all bring to the, uh, the bigger ensemble. So finding, it was finding my place within that ensemble really helped me to um, find my, the New Orleans the um in the ensembles that i'm have traveled around the world with yeah i remember when you uh were playing in that band we didn't really we didn't know each other we might have met in passing but uh i remember you playing with that band the trombone shorty was in that band now and then right and david andrews and um it was, it was a good it was a good band you had a lot of good players uh at that time um it was amazing for me i mean there were people in that band that had toured with Rarls and BB King and Fatstow, and they're just are on the street every day, right next to me, encouraging, giving me support, and and uh, teaching me the you know playing. I remember Frederick Shepard was one of my favorite. Yeah, Shepard, I remember. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just play these rhythms, you know, and you just start to pick up on it, and you know, you, you think you have it down until you get in a situation like that, and you realize. And you know, Danny Barker has had a. Uh, he was interviewed one time uh, in nineteen. 92 a couple of years before he passed and he said i'm paraphrasing him and you know taking put it in my own context but what he said if you take and he's he was a very funny storyteller besides being a great musician he was a storyteller and a reconnoisseur but he said you could take a eskimos from uh, alaska from the pole and bring their eskimo dogs and get them to play with new orleans musicians and they will become New Orleans musicians. <laughs> so that's, you know, there's a lot of truth to that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what do you think you learned from playing, from busking so much? A, a number of our artists that we've interviewed kind of cut their teeth busking. One, one was one of our main artists, Jens Kruger, who, um, who's, and, uh, he, I know he learned a lot how to entertain from from busking because he immediately saw if you were if you were entered if you, 
you made money if you're entertaining the crowd or not. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of as simple as that. But what do you think you learned from just playing in the streets and, and working the, the crowd for tips all the time like that? A great question. Let me just say first, I should have said from the beginning, thank you very much for inviting me here. And um, I've got to, a chance to check out some of your interviews and, and um, it's a really great company to be uh, interviewed with all these other fantastic people. Um, I uh, checked out that uh, Brad, uh, was it Brad Davis and uh, yeah. and Pete? And uh, so thank you for inviting me. And, and uh, I'm just so grateful to be involved with, you know, this company that makes this banjo that I've just fallen in love with. And I, I'm so grateful to be playing today. And uh, so to answer your question, um, one of the most important things I, uh, that I learned busking was... Um, and this is one of the things for, that I learned differentiates New Orleans musicians from musicians from other places is endurance. When you play all day long, I mean, imagine you're in a 24 piece band, okay? You're busking. So, I mean, all the, all the different um, uh, subtleties I can't go into, but I can tell you that when there's a big band, 10 people or more, anything more than that, it gets kind of stressful because everybody's supposed to contribute and it's hard to contribute when there's so many people. It's like everybody has to play a solo during like a half an hour set. You don't want the sets to be too long and, and you don't want them to be too short. So, and you have to have some kind of continuation, but everybody's kind of has to pitch in and sometimes people get lazy out there playing on the street because there's, you know, tuba might be the boss, but, it's hard for him to keep track of everybody and he wasn't always there. So who's going to be the person to tell this person that, you know, if you don't play, then you're not going to get anything out of the tip jar. So what happens is everybody is encouraged to play a solo for every song or at least every other song. Everybody should be playing solos. So as a rhythm player, that means you have to play a lot. You're accompanying every solo. You have to accompany all day long and then, play solos on top of that sometimes. So um, that's one of the big things that I took away from that um, experience is uh, being able to have a lot of endurance. And um, the aspect of endurance in New Orleans music goes back to this, the second street parades uh, or jazz funerals, they used to call them. And uh, these musicians would be expected to play and they still are um, for hours sometimes the parades would last three four five six hours um, they don't generally last that long anymore except for maybe during mardi gras but um the for the horn musicians that's a lot of endurance to be able to um, play that long and you learn how to pace yourself and you learn endurance you um some other stuff i learned like i said before was the new orleans beat the uh, a variety of, of rhythms um New Orleans is considered the northernmost city in the Caribbean. And um, there's a lot of Caribbean feeling here. And uh, just like any island in the Caribbean, the rhythms are different if you move from island to island. So when you come to New Orleans, the rhythm here is going to be different. So it's a matter of absorbing all those different rhythms. And they keep evolving. There's so many from the early jazz, Jelly Roll Morton and uh, Louis Armstrong, uh, Latin style rhythms through the um, swing and uh, um, Mardi Gras rhythms 
there's so so many and and then you get into rock and roll and and fats domino and and um all the r b stuff there's so much rhythm to absorb and being in a band like that as i said before when you have so many musicians they all are bringing something else to the table and they all have a different pro approach rhythmically uh harmonically and um uh repertoire wise as well so another thing that i learned from that band um is uh, t t uh an extensive repertoire which i'm still expanding on um you know they say in new orleans that if you have if you know the top 40 which are like the top 40 trad tunes then you can work but it's really about 100 songs and um you know i'm not sure how many tunes i really know it may be a few hundred or a thousand but um I know that um, when I, when we started the quarantine, um, I started to do live streams after about a month and I was doing them three times a week. And um, I figured out that I was able to do about um, 40 something hours before I was, had to repeat anything. I was kind of challenging myself. So that was interesting playing solo. I could play for 40 hours without repeating myself. And that comes from just, playing in new orleans and learning keep learning new tunes anyway yeah um, that's great i'm glad you brought up the uh aspect of rhythm in new orleans music um because you know i agree 100 with you there and uh would you want to play any kind of demonstrate any of any of the that those uh different rhythms that that, that you know you hear and, and play sure sure um so generally this um it's it's a New Orleans music is a collective music. Uh, it's like bluegrass in that way, and there's a lot of similarities between bluegrass and New Orleans music, incidentally. But um, so the rhythms kind of come out depending on which ensemble you're in. They come out differently um, with depending on who you're playing with. But um, having said that, I'll kind of give you some basic examples of um, a variety of uh, or a at least a few different kinds of rhythms. So when I started this, when we started this interview, I played just a little while to stay here and I was doing uh, a lot of, so that was a male, but I was doing a lot of this kind. And that rhythm is what Danny Barker um, referred to as a rigmarole style, um, <laughs> which um, is kind of a mixture or to mix things up um, the way he said it is uh, the rigmarole, the banjo, the banjo's uh, role in the jazz, the dance bands, you know, pre-jazz and and in the early jazz, was to lift the band, to to lift the band, and the best way to do that is with the rhythm rigmarole, and um, so the rigmarole can be. Um, it's a it's a groove really. It's it's um it's some it's a groove, but it, it doesn't have to be one specific rhythm it's just it's just this groove that can be can go a lot of different places and and it, as i said it depends on who you're playing with but i'll give you an idea of how i can kind of move it around a little bit so if i start here So I'm kind of, it's kind of organic. It's an organic kind of thing where um, I'm using that groove and um, 
I'm just trying not to move too many chords just so you could hear the basic rhythm, but um, uh, I try to add in a lot of syncopation to it. So if I'm doing, it's not really syncopated, but if I go. And then add in these kind of uh, triplets. So it's quite a, a variety. Um, the key is um, polyrhythms. Polyrhythms where you have like three over four. So if I'm playing um, Not, it's not very cohesive the way I'm presenting it, but um, I think you get the idea. Here's um, here's a uh, like a Latin thing. So if you're playing like um, St. Louis blues, this is a. Uh, That's a, like a minor uh, habanero, they call it sometimes, or, or, or um, uh, they might call it a rumba. Um, so the rumbas were real, real pop popular in, in, in the early New Orleans music and uh, still are in the traditional, um, uh, traditional bands. Um, you hear it like in something like Mardi Gras Mambo. See so, yeah. That's kind of a combination between the rigmarole and the, um, the 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 habanero rhythm. The habanero rhythm is it's really simple. The essence of it is just like a dotted quarter note, eighth note, followed by two quarter notes. So, and then you add some. So uh, what else? Um, Second line beat. Um, a second line is a uh, in New Orleans. The term second line is a lot. It can be um, uh, defining a lot of different things. It could be a dance. Uh, they call uh, a certain uh, like a freestyle dance is a second line. A beat is a second line. Um, there could be a second line song. So um, I'll give you an example of a second line song. This is the Paul Barbaran second line. So that's the basic melody, and uh, if I was to play, it'd be. So 
that's a lot of rigmarole and it fits really well in that second line beat. And um, you'll notice that um, the, uh, the, I was playing some color tones in that as well. So um, we'll get into that in a second too. That's, that's a, a big part of the Danny Barker style. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, so those, that's, there's a few different rhythms there for you. Um, Latin, second line, um, rigmarole, what else? I mean, there's this basic swing rhythm, which is uh, in New Orleans music. This is kind of... Now, it's in college, they, they would call that a Freddie Green style. Um, it's my belief that, um, although Freddie Green is a, a genius of rhythm guitar, um, and every jazz guitar player should study him. Uh, Danny Barker did so much more, and by studying Danny Barker, you'd be studying the entire history of jazz. And he was a phenomenal banjo player, so um, it'd be something that you know would would be a, a great um, introduction to New Orleans music and and um, New Orleans banjo or jazz banjo would be just to study the style of Danny Barker. And um, if you can find some of his recordings, which there are quite a few of him um, playing uh, uh, and featuring him on banjo, um, you'll be surprised at what you can do with one of these instruments. It's um, it's unbelievable that uh, so many that uh, people haven't picked that. Um, he was really quite a genius of of the banjo and the guitar, but. Um, his work on the banjo is really um, unprecedented in uh, um, in any circle, really. So, um, anyway, would while comparing the um, the styles of Danny Barker and uh, and Freddie Green, would you say that Danny Barker usually played kind of bigger, fuller chords, more strings, where Freddie Green often did, you know, like two note chords, two or three note chords? Is, is, would you differentiate well, it that way? No, I would no. I would say that um, w it depends on the context. You see, Freddie Green was playing um, in Basie's band, so he was. That's why he was. He couldn't play really bigger chords because it didn't make any sense for him to be. He had to be playing these these kind of chords. And when Danny Parker Barker played in Cab Calloway's orchestra for a decade, and when he played with other um, big bands, that way. In the smaller ensembles, then he would start adding those other chord notes, what um, people think of them as fat chords. But really, um, I think the fat chords are these ones where you're using the fat strings. That's the way Danny described it. But what, um, what I forgot to say before about Freddie Green was that Freddie, that Freddie Green style of playing four on the floor came from New Orleans and banjo play playing four on the floor. And when you listen to the early Jelly Roll Morton and, and um, later was um, Duke Ellington, when, on his early recordings when he was using banjo players, um, he, he, he was modeling his band after New Orleans, um, <clears throat> that jelly that uh, jelly sound. And, and so that floor was 
what the swing bands picked up on style of guitar playing king banjo so um yeah but but danny did french from freddie um on the guitar and the banjo was that um he uh, exploring and adding a lot more color tones to his chords so instead of playing like freddie these chords or if you were a banjo player and you picked up a six-string banjo and you just wanted to play jazz, you might be playing these kind of chords. And I've seen people do it, and you know, it would work. But, you know, if you need to make a gig, whatever. But Danny was a genius, like Freddie Green, of voicing the chords to where they will cut through more. If you think of a four-string banjo, a tenor banjo, which was also popular in New Orleans jazz, the four string is tuned in fifths, and so the notes have spread out more. And by doing that, by the notes being spread out more, it's naturally going to have more of a, more of a sound because of the the uh, harmonic overtones aren't overlapping as much. That's these kind of chords, these big fat um, bar chords, aren't really going to work as well because they're 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 too bunched together. There's too much. Too many overtones bunched up together. And so if you think as if you're playing a tenor guitar um, is one way to do it and spread the notes out more, then you'll find that you get more, more sound in the ensemble. You can project more. And um, being how this music, New Orleans jazz, is ensemble music, it's a great thing to um, explore and um, be, able to, um, be able to do when you need to do it. So the other so. That's one thing is spreading the notes out. So this kind of chord, instead of, instead of all this, you can just play that for a seventh chord. Um, the other thing is to add color tones, such as sixes and nines and thirteens and altered chords. One of Danny Barker's favorite things is this kind of. So this is a six nine chord. I mean, if you're into bluegrass, and I mean, if all you play is bluegrass, you might not appreciate those kind of sounds. But um, it's really quite sophisticated and advanced, and it works really well in jazz ensembles, um, unless you have people that really uh, don't want you to play anything that sounds remotely modern. Usually, I can get away with playing those chords in any traditional band, but you have to be careful because um, a lot of early traditionalists, they really want to kind of keep it pre-bebop, pre-Thelonious Monk, pre-Charlie Parker. And so you can't really, you can't do that kind of a chord with this chord. Unless you, it's, it's like I said, it's all about context. You kind of have to know when and where to do it. Um, let me give you an example. Here's another tune in the style of Danny Barker. This is a famous um, blues tune that is also played in by Blue grass and folk bands and blues bands. It's called Careless Love.
Yeah. Terrific. One thing you did in there, you did a little tremolo. I, I know as a, uh, you know, I play tenor banjo and a lot of people ask, how do you, how do you do the tremolo or how do you practice the tremolo? Um, and also what, what context do you use that? Cause some, some beginning banjo players use it too much on four string or six string banjo players, you know, that they kind of are tremoloing way too much. Um, so yeah. kind of how would you practice that for somebody that's, you know, trying to learn it and then where would you place it now and then? Well, first let me say that um, one of the reasons why to play tremolo is um, the banjo is being kind of, I always think of it as like a drum or a percussive instrument. And um, so you don't have a lot of sustain on it. So um, that is like a, it's like a, if you're melodically, um, it's a sustain. And how I would practice it, um, I don't generally practice tremolo. But um, I'll tell you what I practice. If, but if I did, what I would do is just I like so just playing a. Sorry, I'm trying to. It's, I should have turned my camera around. I'm trying to get my, my hand here on camera. There we go. So so I'm just playing like a chromatic scale, or you could just pick any scale and just just playing. 16th notes um, um, but what I like to practice um, what I do I wake up early in the morning and I practice for about 40 minutes every day and I always start off just doodling and I start off with chromatics so I'll just and I have my metronome on always with the metronome and then I'll go into some kind of scale. I don't do the same thing every day. I, I like to, especially when I'm just starting, I like to be a little creative and get my creative juices running. So I might go into a, um, a major scale or harmonic minor. And then I start to move into, you could do this. Also, um, also, um, oh, then I might go into whole tone scales. Now, how much do I use this stuff on the gig? I, I don't, I rarely use that, but it's just a great thing to be able to open up your ears at the beginning of a practice, practice session and to really gets your picking together. And um, another thing I'd say, if you're practicing your picking and um, and your you know, tremolo or whatever kind of picking you're working on, and I'm using a flat pick as a Dunlap pick, um, to make sure that you're using a technique that is almost effortless. So if, if you're working too hard, you're gonna hurt your hands. And so, um, you know, you got your tendons and your joints. And if you really wanna play for the long run, which I do, I want to, I intend to do this till I die. 
Um, and hopefully, you know, I'll live forever. But anyway, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so you gotta you gotta try to. Um, I don't know why this is doing that. Uh, um, you try to uh, make it effortless and and try to get while you're still getting a full tone. And um, for some reason, my little thing here is I'm not a badass again, which doesn't make sense. Anyway, um, I don't know why, but it just said I'm getting low on battery. I'm plugged in, so um, if I if you lose me, that's why. Let me just let me just do this real quick. So um, yeah, that's it. So that's how I practice tremolo. And um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's terrific, and it's, it's terrific because because I because I also noticed. You know, in your examples, you're playing chord melodies and not doing much single notes. So it's good to see that you're in your practice sessions. You're, you know, you're you're doing those single notes. Um, do you, when you're playing in a band, do you take single note solos or is it mostly chord melody solos? I do both. I try to mix it up. You know, I try to. Um, I remember um, I was I was uh, attending a Tommy Tedesco um, seminar once in L.A. He was a he was a friend of my father. He worked with my father and my uncle, and and he he was talking about how when he's in the studio, he might you know, and he's supposed to improvise. He says, "Well, I'll just throw in a slide, and then I'll do some hammer-ons, and then you know, it's like you have all these all these um, variety of technical things, and that's your palette. So yeah, like if I'm playing Careless Love. and register anyway so yeah so I, I'll, I'll do single line stuff but I'll do and blues you might throw in some blues you know I mean you have to kind of be ready to if you're if you're in a live performance and you're playing the same kind of solos that every song i hear back from the audience during the break people will tell me you know i like i like your i like what you're doing and if i'm doing a lot of different things they mention that too and i and i so i'm, I'm looking for that kind of feedback you know people to tell me that that they like the variety of techniques and and uh, approaches that i'm taking to the different songs and that's another thing every song has a different um, kind of heart to it. It's every song has a different um, rhythm to it. In Cuban music, when they refer to a key, it's not necessarily like G or C, but it's the rhythmic key. And in New Orleans music, this it's the same. But it's not just um, you know, it, it's every song can have a different key, a different rhythmic feel. And so, um, uh, so I, I'm prepared to try. See if we need to leave, to wrap it up in ten minutes. We can. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just I couldn't read that. I had to block it out. So anyway, um, so yeah, I try to I, I try to apply to a variety of different techniques and musical approaches. Uh, all the stuff I mentioned, you know, color tones, 
um, polyrhythms. Do I want to mess with the rhythm of the song, the phrasing? Do I want to play it single line or chord melody? So all these th things come in. That's like my my palette when I'm improvising. That's one of the beautiful things about New Orleans jazz is that um, there's, since Louis Armstrong especially, there's so much um, room and um, opportunity to explore your own personal um, um, voice and your own personal um, uh, approach to the music. And so that's what keeps it interesting. And that's why I play this music. I, I, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a rock and roller, but then I met some uh, musicians that were touring all over the world and they weren't happy because they had to play the same songs the same way every single night. And I realized that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be playing a music where I could always grow and always um, be learning and, and, uh, and creating something new. And um, jazz is that music and traditional New Orleans jazz satisfies that for me. Cool. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your banjo that you're playing? Um, sure. This is a, a back banjo, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, so this is a uh, Danny Barker played an open back banjo, and he played a Vega. This is actually it says Vega on there. Um, it's actually a Deering banjo that was um, built, I think, shortly after Deering acquired the the rights and the specs to the um, Deering, I mean, to the Vegas. And um, it's a little bit different from Danny's. It's a, the head is a little bit smaller, and I'm hoping someday I can. Um, get them to build me one a little bigger, but I love this banjo um, because partially because the open back. So I have a B6. That was um, my first steering banjo and it's got the resonator on the back, but it's a lot heavier. And sometimes I have to march uh, in New Orleans. You get in second lines and you have to stroll around at brunches and it gets heavy. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. My body is <laughs> able to take all that. So um, this banjo is, I think, six or seven pounds or something, and and um, I may be a little bit off there, but it's really comfortable for those kind of gigs. And with the open back, I have found that um, it's got the advantage, a few advantages over the um, the resonator. And one of them is uh, your body is the resonator, and so you, you can actually. Um, change the tone of the instrument by moving the banjo around and um, so so I'm going to stand up here and show you how so you can see how the sound changes and um, the volume also changes too so if I need a little more volume I might take it away from my body or one thing I learned uh, playing with brass bands like Tuba Fats Band and the Treme Brass Band, who I've been lucky enough to play with for many years, I can take this banjo and put it against the bass drum and the bass drum becomes kind of an amplifier. So it, it kind of is a super banjo sound. And so that's a lot of fun too. Um, what else about this banjo? This is the Senator V6. Um, shortly after you started making them, uh, Daring started making them. Um, I, I, I was looking for this exact instrument, and so, so I contacted Daring and said, "I want to endorse that banjo. I love it." And so um, I've been doing that ever since. I think that was 
2006, I want to say, it was shortly after Katrina. And so, uh, yeah, it's great. Lightweight. I love the open back. And uh, the next, real easy to play. And, and uh, you know, in, in Louisiana, we have um, two seasons, you know, hot, super hot, and then not so hot. But although sometimes we have a freeze. We usually have a freeze about once a year. And when, it, when that happens, the, uh, the instrument changes so much that the action changes a lot. So um, it doesn't matter what instrument it is. They all do it, pianos and guitars and banjos. So I, I love this because it's so easy to adjust. And, you know, as you go on YouTube and your daring videos show you how to make those quick adjust, adjustments. And I just go in there and just make my little quick adjustment. And it's, it just takes me like five minutes, you know. I mean, it takes longer to change my strings. But anyway, yeah, so that's my uh, Deering V6 banjo. Is there a awesome. time when you choose the resonator banjo over the open back? Or are you mainly playing the open back? Uh, most of the time now i mainly play the open back and and um there's two reasons well for one thing see uh danny barker had this trick when he started playing when he went back to the banjo in the 1940s he was bottled as playing before that he was playing tenor banjo and then he decided that he, he was going to play six string and model um his uh approach after johnny saint Cyr, who played with the uh, hot fives and hot seven and Jelly Roll Morton. And so what he did was he took off the six string. So it was actually a five string banjo, though without a drone string. And he tuned it up um, a step and a half. And he did that so he could get kind of a twangier sound. And um, the, my other banjo, the one with the resin, I did that just so I could like kind of live with it and experience it that way. Um, it's a little confusing sometimes, but um, when I want to um, play that way, with that kind of a sound, I'll use my resonator banjo. Um, and uh, also just for variety, for tone variety. And what about, what about playing, choosing playing guitar versus banjo? What situations do you choose one over the other? Yeah, sometimes I have a hard time doing that because I love both instruments. Even in my string band, uh, my string band, um, sometimes I, I, I play Hawaiian-style steel guitar or I'll play uh, my uh, old Gibson L7 guitar for the Latin stuff. And then I'll use this for um, uh, like New Orleans banjo features or Creole tunes or, or sometimes Latin tunes or ragtime tunes. And... Um, ragtime songs i'll be playing single line uh in harmony with a with a mandolin so um it's hard for me to decide but like for it's some some bands i play with every they choice for example um i work quite a bit with dr michael white when there's not pandemic going on and uh, he likes the banjo like 99.9 percent .9 of the time it's all it's banjo it's a, you know i don't even ask him uh, it's going to be banjo um, and with Treme Brass Band, that's usually banjo. Um, it's funny because a lot of the solo gigs I do, like I'll pre play brunches or sometimes I'll one of the steamboats and play. Um, I'm sure you've done these too, Dave, where you're playing um, during the dinner cruises that go up and down the river. And um, I find the banjo to be a great instrument for that um, because... You know, you have a lot of stuff going on, and the banjo 
you're, you know, you're strolling around, but the banjo can project quite loud and melodically. So you can, you can get um, a lot of sound out there or as an accompaniment instrument, you can get a, a, a lot of uh, rhythm, which um, is really helpful for, you know, it kind of, you're kind of making up, you're, you're the whole band. So now with the banjo, you're the drummer and the piano player and the horn player. Or you can be singing the melody perhaps, but um, the banjo is great for that. And um, this instrument, the six string banjo, um, I find to be um, very, very practical for that and very, uh, very useful uh, because you can get, like I said, a lot of jazz harmonies, a lot of full chords, playing the New Orleans repertoire, it's, it's, um, it's very important to have, um, you got to have the, those harmonies, you know, you got to have that. Um, that's what makes the music swing is, is that harmonic movement. And, and um, this is a great instrument for it. But yeah, sometimes it's hard to choose, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost nice one when the band leader chooses it for you, because then you don't have to make the decision. Yeah. You just know, you know that this is it. Yeah, um, and I hate to ask when someone hires me, I hate to be like, do you want banjo or guitar, electric guitar? You know, just right. sometimes they don't want to be bothered, so I'll just kind of bring right. whatever. And then or they don't know. Either. They don't really know what they want. Uh, have you dabbled at all in four-string banjo? Somebody was asking in the chat, you know, why did you choose six string over the four string banjo? That's a great question. I do have a, a four string banjo and um, I have spent time with it. Um, I've never played it on a gig. I don't trust myself enough yet. Um, and um, the reason I chose six string banjo rather than four string, because uh, when I got off playing banjo, it, um, it was, well, it was, the reason I was playing banjo is I was playing in the Danny Barker style. And I had, happened to have a gig one day on a Mardi Gras float. It was uh, Harry Connick Jr.'s parade, the Orpheus parade. And we were in the, the first float. It was a, a big boat. And um, it was a four-piece band, Miss Doreen and her husband, and Shannon Powell, who's a world-famous drummer who, with Wynton Marcellus and uh, Diane Reeves and... Um, Harry Connick Jr. and many, 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 many other people. And I knew who he was, but he didn't know who I was. And I knew that he had learned and studied under Danny Barker. So I was playing the steel guitar and I were playing Mardi Gras music, of course. And I thought to myself, well, we can't talk because it's so, so loud out here on this float, but um, I can, I I'm just going to play Danny Barker style the whole night and see what happens, you know? <laughs> so I was just playing all this Danny Barker stuff. And at the end of the, at the end of the gig, he said, do you need to ride to your car? So on the way to the car, he said, man, you sound, you sound like Danny Barker. I came up with Danny Barker and you sound like him. I'm so glad you're carrying on that tradition. I want you to get a six string banjo and come by my house and tell me this, his address and um, we're going to do some things. And so when Shannon Powell tells you to get a six string banjo, you get a six string banjo. And so I got the six string banjo because um, that's what Danny Barker played. Uh, and, um, you know, the rest is history. And, and um, through Shannon Powell, Shannon introduced me to the people of Preservation Hall and the Palm Court. And uh, I eventually did um, several tours with Shannon in Japan and Taiwan. And so it's been a real great collaboration. 
And um, I'm really happy to, and grateful and lucky to be um, feeling those shoes of, of the person that's really carrying on the Danny Barker tradition. So that's why I play, that's why I love the, I mean, nobody's doing it, you see? Nobody's really carrying on that tradition. So for me to go and start playing a, a tenor banjo wouldn't really make sense because there are already a lot of tenor banjo players that um, are really great. So yeah, that's, that's the main reason. Yeah, having having Shannon tell you that, uh, it's pretty pretty affirming words there. <laughs> yeah, it's great that you've had a long relationship with him too. Playing with him, he's you know, for those that don't know, he is an incredible world class drummer. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, for somebody, what about for somebody learning to play New Orleans jazz? What would be some some advice, some, some kind of overriding and then maybe not specific things. So even if they're playing, you know, they might be playing another instrument even, they, but uh, they're just kind of learning the style. Is there any kind of words, any grand words of advice? Well, anytime you learn a new genre, it's all about harmony, melody, rhythm, and repertoire. And uh, if you're coming at it from a, a bluegrass repertoire, um, you'll find that there's a lot of overlap, especially in spiritual tunes and blues tunes. So you could start with those. Um, you know, you you really need to play with other musicians. It's really important. It's, it's a community music. It's a communal music and it's a community music, which means it's functional in the whole community. It's dance music. So um, you need that audience as well. Um, so... You start with the harmony, melody, and rhythm, and the repertoire, and um, <clears throat> every genre is going to have a different approach to those things. And um, I would say, you know, especially if you're learning traditional jazz, learn the fundamentals of harmony, all about the triads, and um, study some basic Bach. And um, there's a wonderful book called The Contrapuntal Harmonic Technique of the 17th Century. Um, you know, just try the first seven chapters of that book and try to apply it to your instrument. Um, that is a, a great for um, harmony. And uh, the triad, I play the triads and all open and closed voicings all up and down the neck. So open up that neck. Um, melody, um, melody isn't just about playing, uh, you know, so, it's also about phrasing melodies. So how many different ways can you phrase a melody? Um, if you're playing it the same exact way every time, it's, it's not jazz. It's not, it's not interesting, really. You want to try to keep things interesting. And the way to keep it interesting is, as I said before, uh, as I said before, keep learning and trying new things and, and new techniques and um, listen to other players. Listen to Louis Armstrong. That's a real good key. And listen to people like Bunk Johnson and um, George Lewis and Jelly Roll Morton. And um, of course, the great players of, of um, traditional jazz. Um, listen to the George Lewis bands where the tenor banjo players are just playing 4-4 four, four all day long. That's all they play. But they keep it interesting because of the voicings they're using and the accuracy of their harmonies. And um, so 
and the rhythms. Uh, you will learn rhythms um, by listening to records, but also by playing with lots of different people. Um, I can't emphasize that enough. It's really about playing with different people and absorbing different rhythms and different approaches and rhythmic approaches and harmonic and melodic approaches. Um, learn some Mardi Gras music, you know. Um, what else? Uh, learn, learn some ragtime music. Um, early jazz was, before it was early jazz, it was dance music, but it was also, um, it, 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 what made jazz was a mixture of different genres. So you had spiritual music, church music, and uh, marching band music. The, 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 uh, I, they called them, uh, um, mar they called them jazz funerals, but before they called them jazz funerals, they were just, uh, um, I can't think of the term, but you know, now they call them second line bands. But so learn some marches, learn some ragtime, Latin tunes, pop tunes of the, uh, the, not just since the 1960s, but since the 1860s. And um, yeah, so you have to kind of dip into all those different kinds of um, uh, genres and they all have different harmony, melody and rhythms that you can bring to the bigger table of jazz. So um, um, I would say that's a, a lot of information, but it's a good place to start if you want to learn <laughs> some traditional jazz. Yeah, it's very good advice. Um, you've also gone, you've also done a lot of clinics in schools and uh, I know, and, and you, you know, as you, you're kind of a keeper of the torch of the Danny Barker style and, and, and just, uh, you know, traditional jazz as well. Norm's jazz. What, I guess kind of two questions. What kind of, what are some of, what do you, when you're going into schools, how do you kind of inspire some of the um, kids and how do you, how important do you think it is um, to be kind of a pass on the tradition as, as Danny was very you know famous for doing um, maybe for just any musician and whatever style they're doing to pass on the tradition of what, what they do. Yeah. I mean, that's, I can't emphasize it enough. It's, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, you know, I mentioned before that it's a communal music, it's a community music. And so passing it on is, is integral to the music. And I'm standing on the shoulders of Danny and many, many other music that came before me. And um, it wouldn't make any sense at all for me to not do everything I can to try to pass the music on and to keep it going, especially to the younger generation and especially to... Um, people in New Orleans where um, it's our heritage, but it's not just people in New Orleans, it's the heritage of all Americans and all people that are, you know, interested in um, community, you know? It's all people, it's a people's music, it's a folk music, it's intended to be inclusive. And um, so teaching is kind of built into it, you have to do it. And if, if you don't think that way, you're not, you're not ever going to really be able to understand the music and play the music properly, I don't think. So, um, yeah, so it's of the utmost importance. And how I approach it is, um, well, you know, I've been lucky to teach kids from ages um, 2 to 92, you know, and, and uh, I've worked in a lot of schools here in New Orleans, um, 
<clears throat> and um, I've, I've really enjoyed it and uh, learned so much. Um, one of the things that I love to do, especially with the younger kids, is Elaba. And Elaba is an old Creole song, and uh, it's got a built-in call and response. So there's that aspect of music that you teach. And you, it's also a great opportunity to, to really talk about the, um, the beauty of this instrument, the banjo. As um, this instrument play, unlike drums or the clarinet, or the trumpet or trombone, you can play melody and harmony and rhythm. So you can do the piano and the horn part and the, the percussion part. So um, you got the melody. So then the rhythm. And I usually, you know, I go through and I define, I give definitions for all of these three things, the three main harmony, melody, and rhythm. So, some, we might start with just that basic habanero rhythm, and then the harmony of this tune, which is not, not just, not just one chord, but also a chord progression, a chord and a chord progression. So in this tune, la so you have all three things put together and you have the whole band here so it's a great great tune for that and it's got the it's fun to a la bon creole means a there so we get to kind of have this call and response and i found that when i was doing a um residency at a school i always bring in my banjo the first day and always sing that song. And for the rest of the school year, every time I would walk through the hallways, there'd be at least one, several kids saying, going, hey, la ba. So, um, you know, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. You know, it's, it's, it's like you, you got it and you put it in your pocket and you got it forever. And um, so that's generally where I start with that. And I, I also, you know, talk about a song talking about Creole culture. Where does that come from? And how is that related to the banjo? And how is that related to American music? And I th really think that it's something that um, all Americans should um, know and appreciate. They should be teaching this stuff in all public schools about New Orleans music and Creole culture and um, how the banjo came here from the Caribbean uh, from Africa and how it has has helped to shape our our greater modern culture, and um, it's uh, you know a tune like that is a great example for a, just like a, a link from the old Caribbean, New Orleans, and Creole culture, and how that somebody like Danny Barker who would sing that song, how his tenure with um, like Cab Calloway and Billie Holiday. And um, later with Wynton Marcella, Dr. John and the Dirty Dozen. So, um, you know, there's a continuation there. And um, it's, uh, it's real important that we keep bringing that forward. Well, Seva, I think this is a great place to leave it. We're at the top of the hour. But thank and Jamie, do we have any questions on the chat right now to get to? Hello. Thank you. That was amazing. 
That was fascinating to listen to in the in the background here. So thank you very much to. It's like a personal lesson for the uneducated like myself when it comes to this particular genre of banjo playing. But um, there was one question in the other other chat room from the site from Bernard, um, and he says, I'm from New Orleans, he, uh, and had seen Danny Parker many times before he passed. Um, he says, I'm a guitar player, uh, but I bought a four-string plectrum banjo to play uh, New Orleans style. Can you tell me where I can get instruction material for this particular style on plectrum, or should I switch to a six string? Any advice on that particular subject? Yeah, that's that's kind of a tricky question. Um, I uh, Again, I would go back to um, what I said earlier about if you want to learn traditional jazz. I mean, all that stuff's going to apply. There's not going to be, you're not, you could, you're going to be able to get Danny Barker's rhythms. Yeah. And phrasing, uh, that was one of the things that Danny was a master at. And um, I would suggest just listen to the Danny Barker records. As, as he, this um, listener may know, there's a wonderful record called uh, Save the Bones, which is just in his guitar. Um, but all um, uh, the records that he did, that he did uh, uh, all banjo, well, not all, he did it with an ensemble, but a feature record in the late 1940s. And there's so much great banjo on there. You can listen to that, but what, and you'll be able to pick up on his phrasing there. But what you won't be able to do is you won't be able to play the voicings. And what I mean by that is these big colorful chords that Dan loved. So that chord has, that has notes in it. Well, a, a plectrum has four strings to be able to get this color. Um, you know, there's some stuff you get and others you won't. I don't think that there's going to be a um, that specifically could teach you that style unless they're all and um, have to be somebody from New Orleans. Did he say he was in New Orleans or from? Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he's in New Orleans. Yeah. Huh. See him? I know him. Maybe, but yeah. So what you're saying is the six string in comparison. It, it is, if my understanding is correct, is you're 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 extending that that color palette that that is available to you as a musician. Yes, the the range is is wider. And you have more options for um, for chord voicings. Awesome. But I mean, saying that a plectrum you have has its advantages as cut. The strings are are separated in fifth, mm -hmm. and do things on that can't do on the sixth string. So it's really important to decide what you really want and what you really love, and pursue that. I mean, if you know, try both of them and and see which one. If you really want to say any Barker, you got to get a six string banjo. But um, if you think you could get by without the color tones and just settle for his rhythms. And phrasing, then you'll probably be okay with the with the, the uh, plectrum. I think that's pretty pretty good advice, pretty sound advice. Um, thank you so so much, uh, David. Before we go, any any last words? Just thanks a lot for 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 doing this. It was uh, it's, it's it's great to have you on. Great to great to you know oh, you had lots lots of good words of advice and everything and um, and. Um, 
also for people, they should check out your uh, your string band. We didn't really get to it too much, but the Storville String Band of New Orleans, definitely check out. It's, it's Seva's band, and you can find it on Apple Music and, and Spotify and all those things. Yeah. And, and the, the website is at the bottom. We just screen. did. Excuse oh. me. So Thank the website you. is at the bottom Thank of the screen. Thank you so much. Do you want to play Thanks us again, that? Guys. Thank that? you very much. Sure. Uh, uh, if I could look at this one, let's see.